Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in, Boston sports fans everywhere. Episode 12 of Boston's Big Four on the Believe Network. Home base for all things Boston sports for the fans of the City of Champions, where this sports business is a 24-7, 365-day-a-year passion. I'm your host, Stephen Ace Norman. New releases here every Tuesday. Sorry, we took off last Tuesday, but we're back to our normal schedule here now. You can find the show, Apple, Spotify, and Google. That is if you're looking. I hope you are. All of our major social media platforms are up and running. The info for that is on our webpage at Believe.com, spelled B-L-E-A-V. A lot to get to on this week's episode. I want to focus here a lot on the Boston Celtics, Jason Tatum, and the Celtics as they continue to evolve into the team that I think a lot of us had hoped and expected them to be going back now a couple of years, a couple of years. So I do want to talk about that. But I want to focus here and start, at least, with the 1 p.m. ABC showcase matchup of Sunday, which was a great matchup between the Celtics and the Nets. Back and forth, coming into the game, the Celtics had won two straight in the series, the final game of the series coming on Sunday. And overall, a masterpiece by Jason Tatum. An overall utter masterpiece. 54 points, 16 of 30 shooting, including 8 of 15 from three-point land. A number that really sticks out to me specifically is only two turnovers. And the fact that Tatum accounted for nearly half of the Celtics' 126-point output between his points and his assist, becoming the first player in Celtics history with multiple 50-point games in one season. But to me, throw out the scoring, or not completely throw out the scoring, but put it to the side for the moment, it's really the way in which he played on Sunday. He took control of that game. On the other side of the floor was Kevin Durant, the world's arguably best player in the world, or number two, maybe number three, whatever your list may be. And Jason Tatum was the better player. Jason Tatum was the more clutch player. Jason Tatum was the more well-rounded player. He left more of an imprint on the game. He got more from his teammates. He showed up more on the defensive side of things for the Boston Celtics, who continue to be one of the best, actually the best overall rated defense in the NBA. And with the game on the line in the fourth quarter, he comes up with 18 points at one point scoring 10 consecutive points for the Celtics. And then you go down to the final minute and 30 and Tatum has no points. But that doesn't mean he didn't affect the game because I thought his best play of the night came in the final minute of the game where he draws a double team at the top of the key about 40 seconds remaining he starts to drive he sees that it's going nowhere instead of pushing on forward and forcing up a poor shot where a selection is not exactly the best shot he could get to he passes out to Marcus Smart who instead of hucking up a three in typical Marcus Smart fashion holds the ball finds Jalen Brown in the corner for a better shot selection Jalen Brown with Goran Dragic rushing at him, doesn't force up the three quickly, doesn't try to get off the quick shot before the defender gets to him. No, what does he do? He lets the defender run right by him, composes himself, 
and hits the biggest three of the game and by far his biggest play of the game for Jalen Brown. It's a play that makes you look at it and say Jason Tatum is finally understanding what and how he needs to conduct himself late in games where, yeah, he's the best option on the floor. He's the best player. He's the best scorer. And he's having one of those nights where try to stop me. I dare you. You still can't. But when you throw the kitchen sink at me, I'm not going to try to run through the kitchen sink. Instead, I'm going to pass it off. And I'm not going to play a one-man game just because I'm having one of those nights. And it's a sequence as a whole for this Boston Celtics team that as a fan of the team, you've been clamoring for and expecting for a while now because it's Marcus Smart not forcing a shot. It's Jalen Brown waiting for the perfect moment. It's Jason Tatum not trying to play hero in the final minute of a game because he's having a great game. Instead, he's trusting his teammates. He's having confidence in his game and he's seeing the game as you really should be if you're looking to elevate those around you instead of just trying to do it on your own. It highlighted the maturity or at least the maturity that we're seeing of these three core players, the Jays and Marcus Smart, finally on the same page when it matters the most. As I pleasantly watched the Celtics on Sunday, I had plenty of takeaways. I mean, how could you not walk away from a game where they handle business from the opening tip-off to the end of the game, was spurts by a a good team on the opposite side of the floor, made some runs, but the Celtics always were calm, collected, and you know within themselves. But my number one takeaway is watching the evolution of Jason Tatum. We've seen the buildup over the past couple of months, ultimately culminating in what we've now seen over the past week, which is just a player who is completely in his own, carrying himself differently. He's less sloppy with the basketball. He's making less rushed plays. He has a calmness to his game that still brings that aggressive nature to it. He's a facilitator when he needs to be. He's an attacker when he needs to be. He's a three-point shooter when he needs to be. And all in all, he's affecting the games on both ends of the floor, defensively and also offensively. One of the things I loved about Sunday was watching Jason Tatum, not just on the offensive end of the floor, but on the defensive end of the floor, go down and match up against Kevin Durant time in and time again. Not shying away from taking the assignment of the other team's best player, Something that I've been critical of him for a while about. Because I feel like if you're going to be an all-around superstar, a catalyst for winning games, it has to be more than just scoring the basketball. It can't just be all offense. It has to be defense. It has to be bringing a tenacity to the game and showing your teammates that it's, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to put in the dirty work too. It's not always going to be the glamour plays. It's going to be the hard work. And that's matching up against... The other team's best player, I'm sorry, you're not going to tell me any different. And finally seeing him take that assignment. Now, I don't know if in the past it's because the coach wants him to do this or the team's doing a lot of switching, so you're not always going to see Jason Tatum match up with 1A on the opposite side of the floor. But I'm just telling you that I've seen it more times than not that he shies away from those assignments. And he took it on Sunday. Was he always matched up against Kevin Durant? No, because the Celtics do a lot of switching. But first time down the court, as they walked down the court, they, he was always by Kevin Durant's hip. And to me, that's a sign that he's getting it. He's understanding it. And it's a stark turnaround from the beginning of the season where his playmaking still wasn't where it needed to be. His three-point shooting was suffering more than we had ever seen before, at one point missing 20 straight three-point shots. And the player that you're seeing now is just a completely different guy who's confident. I mean, I don't know another term that really 
defies what Jason Tatum is doing right now other than confidence, knowing that the game is going to slow down for him. It's becoming easier. He has more answers to the test, as Tom Brady once said. Seeing the game in a slower fashion where he knows this is going to happen, I'm going to do this. They're going to come at me this way. I'm going to counter that by going that way. And counting on his teammates and relying on them to make the right plays too. And I think that's a huge factor in it too. The fact that Marcus Smart is making more of the right plays. Jalen Brown is making more of the right plays. Robert Williams is doing his part. Al Horford is doing his part. Grant Williams is doing his part. The list goes on and on. But it all comes back to Jason Tatum because most times in the NBA, okay, most sports, it starts with your best player and trickles on down. And that best player by far is Jason Tatum. I know that there's been discussions over the years where it's who's better, Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. The ceiling is higher for Brown or Tatum, blah, 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 blah. No, no, it's clear. It's distinct. It's Jason Tatum. So a lot of chatter now has been, is Jason Tatum a top five player? Is he a superstar? I'll tell you this. My personal feeling on the word superstar is that it's thrown around far too often and used far too loosely. Jason Tatum right now is passing the eye test. Okay, he's elite, but he's not a superstar yet. He's top 10, but he's not top five. He's making a leap towards superstar. But for me, a superstar needs to consistently affect both ends of the floor, consistently put an imprint and an impact on each and every game, not always offensively, but sometimes defensively, rebounding the basketball, the little things, making others around him better. Jason Tatum has made a step in this past few months, couple months, I should say, towards that. He's definitely doing that on a more consistent basis, on a nightly basis, but he needs to do that through the end of the season, through the postseason. And oh, by the way, he needs a resume in the postseason to solidify himself as a superstar. Because for me, when you're a top five player or you're a superstar, a true superstar, your team has larger expectations and you have to carry them through those moments. It's more than just one guy. I realize that. But you are the guy who starts and ends everything. I mean, everything. When you look at the NBA, go down the list. What team has won an NBA Finals or won postseason matchups when their number one player isn't impacting in a major way each and every game? Each and every game. There's no team that you can throw out there or none that come to mind. If you can find them, great. And over the past 20 games, Tatum is is doing his part. 29.3 points, 7.7 rebounds, 5.2 assists per game. He's shooting 48% from the field. He's shooting 36.6% from three-point land. And just as impressive as the stat lines have been, has been the competition of which he's done it against. Most recently against Kevin Durant. I don't need to read you that stat line. We've talked about that plenty. Friday night playing Memphis and John Morant, who's elevated his team in the Western Conference in just his third year. Tatum drops 37, has six rebounds, dished out five assists, had 21 points in the fourth quarter, 27 points total in the second half after a slow first half, which saw him only score 10 points. And then just a few nights before, putting in the same type of work, the same type of numbers against Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks, where he had a near triple-double, 33 points, 8 rebounds, and 7 assists. Look, he's doing it versus the NBA elite. And he's doing it on a nightly, day-in, day-out basis. And you're even getting a little bit more of the emotion from Jason Tatum, which is something that I personally 
have been critical of because I, I like my players, I like my stars to be killers. I like them to have that, I'm going to put the dagger through you every single night. I'm going to hold your head underwater until it's over because I am that good and you are not on my pedestal. And of course, I mean figuratively, okay? I don't want my players to actually kill people, okay? Be assassins. I don't want them to hold other players' heads underwater, okay? Or uh, put a dagger through their heart, okay? I'm talking figuratively, so don't get your panties in a bunch. I know this day and age, you have to be very crystal clear about certain things like that. But okay, I want him to have that swag to him. That better, I'll say swag. I want him to have that swag to him. I want him to vocalize that leadership, which is still something I think he can grow into, something that he'll evolve into, or hopefully he can evolve into. I want him to be able to. That needs to be pulled out of him. I think it's something that not all players have, that not all players can get. I think that it's there. I think it is. Al Horford saying after the Atlanta Hawks game that sometimes Jason Tatum is the voice that he needs to hear. And I'm paraphrasing. But the idea is, I think that he wants Jason Tatum to talk more. I feel like it's a way of him urging Jason Tatum to use that voice, to be more vocal, to grab a hold of players and say, hey, look, do this. Or, hey, look, do that. And be that coach on the floor for him. I think that Al is kind of nudging him as the veteran in the locker room, as the mentor, to maybe be a little bit more of that guy. And I want to see that too. So that's something I I still think there can be growth. And until recently, I wasn't even sure that that was in him. And and I still don't know completely if the leadership thing is in him. I, I don't know that he has that alpha male personality. And I don't think that you have to be in guys' faces and screaming at them or anything along those lines. I think you can be a softer spoken by nature type of guy, type of leader. Just someone that you know you can hold your teammates accountable and they're going to listen. Guys know that you're not going to let them off the hook if they mess up. And the Celtics need that. Okay, this team needs that. It's not always going to be from a coach. Okay, Ime can implement his philosophies and his nature into this team as much as he wants. But unless the guys are going to take it from each other, ultimately it doesn't get you very far. You saw that they tuned out Brad Stevens. I think that eventually happens to most, if not all these coaches. And it's not going to be Al Horford, who's also softer spoken by nature, but he's also an older veteran who just doesn't have that tache around the league. It doesn't have it as much with these guys. And I don't know that he likes to stick his nose in there. And in the past when he has, I feel like He's got pushback by the younger guys. So it needs to be one of those younger guys. And I say that not to allude to their age, just how long they've been in the NBA and at what age they're currently operating at, okay? I mean, I feel like there's a connection aspect to it too, where when you have a 24-year-old elite star getting in your face or at least holding you accountable in some fortune, in some fashion, uh, I feel like it's a little bit different than an older vet who really hasn't had that elite status in the NBA at any point. Solid player, but not elite. Marcus Smart was wired for sound the other night. And I'll tell you, it was funny to me because I think he's saying a lot of the right things. I think he's encouraging teammates and he's staying on top of them and he's reminding them of what they need to do. But I don't feel like they really listen to him. I feel like they've tuned Marcus Smart out. I feel like he's kind of just there. And I feel like when he's frustrated, he'll get in your face and it rubs guys the wrong way. I think the same thing or very similar can be said to Jalen Brown, who oftentimes, to me, comes off snooty. He comes off as the smartest guy in every room. He's never wrong. He's always right. It's his way or the highway. 
And I think that that's a leadership quality that this team just has lacked for a long time. And Jason Tatum, I don't know if he can completely come into it. I like the vocal side of things. I like that aspect from him, if that can come out a little bit more. But that's not even true leadership. That That's an aspect of it. That's a component of it. But we'll have to wait and see. I think that's that's part of what I look at for Jason Tatum, and I still say there's room for growth. I know the eyes open up around the national media and by fans when Jason Tatum drops 54 points versus Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and the Nets. But for me, it's what he's doing on the other end of the floor or how he's affecting the game in a positive nature when he's not scoring the basketball, the little things. And that's what I've seen from Jason Tatum recently that shines a little bit of an encouraging light on his growth. But bringing it back full circle to answer the question very simply, do I think Jason Tatum is a superstar yet? No, not yet. Sorry. No. For me, your greatness is measured by wins and what you do in clutch moments, like in the fourth or in the playoffs, carrying a team in a series. And that legacy is cemented by what you accomplish in those type of moments. For me, that is my prerequisite for being a superstar, for being an ultimate leader of a team, for being a true number one overall player in the NBA. For all the roses that are being thrown at the feet of Jason Tatum as of recent, which he rightfully has earned, and I'm happy to do so because I didn't know that we'd get there, I didn't like on Sunday the quieting of the crowd With the Celtics up by six and 30 seconds remaining in the game, Jalen Brown is at the free throw line and the crowd, Boston fanatics break out in a Kyrie sucks chant. And Jason Tatum, standing at about midcourt, quiets the crowd down, in essence, shushing them. You know, saying, hey, don't get on Kyrie. This isn't the time to get on Kyrie. And for anybody who wants to throw out the idea that Jason Tatum was doing it to help his teammate Jalen Brown focus on his free throws is bullcrap. And you're, you're kidding yourselves and you're trying to paint a picture that just isn't so. Because the reality of it is Jason Tatum was more worried about Kyrie's feelings, okay, and being boys with Kyrie than he was Jalen Brown hitting free throws. Jalen Brown is an NBA player, an all-star Not this year, but last year. We know the talent that Jalen Brown can be and has been to this point in his career. And I don't think that fans chanting Kyrie sucks is going to largely affect if Jalen Brown is able and capable to make a free throw to ice the game away. This was solely about Jason Tatum protecting his buddy. The NBA superstars always side with each other. And this is just another example that Jason Tatum has close ties to Kyrie. They were hugging after the game, doing their special handshake that they do. And it just shows you that the generation is softer. There's no more bird and magic, okay? The money and the upbringing has changed these personalities and these mindsets of the current players. And for me, sports is about hating your rivals, not hating them personally, but hating the opposite side of the field, hating the the other dugout, hating the other bench, hating those guys for the 48 or 60 minutes of the game, because that's what it's about, a rivalry, okay? That's what a diehard market is about. And Boston fans take everything personally. I don't need to tell you that. These teams are embedded in the fabric of the city. And how the fans operate on a daily basis. They live and die for these games. They live and die for these teams. And the team, or the crowd I should say, wants to get on Kyrie for plenty of reasons. Okay, And Jason Tatum is there for his defense. So Jason Tatum picks, once again, Kyrie over the Boston fans. And it's just a reminder that these NBA players are very conscious 
of how they're perceived by the crowd. They're very worried about their PR and protecting their boys. It's it's something that you have to keep in mind because these NBA stars are basically looking at themselves as GMs and looking to set up these super teams, and they have to stay close with everyone in the league. It's better to be a part of the secret society than to be on the outskirts and to be hated by any of these players, even if they are your opposition. And that that's where I think that that little killer instinct of the NBA, I don't know that it exists anymore. I think some players have it more than others. Some players don't have it at all, and I don't know that it's going to change. I mean, that's an overall thought on the NBA, more so than specific to Jason Tatum, but it was something that stood out. It wasn't something I liked. It's something that I've heard some make excuses for. I'm not making any excuses for it. He's friends with the guy, and he still sides with Kyrie. He still has connections with Kyrie. So that's something that should ring in the back of your ears, ring in the back of your mind, because that's the reality of what the shushing and quieting of the crowd was on Sunday when Jalen Brown was taking those free throws at the end of the game. Kevin Garnett, who gets his jersey retired next Sunday, wouldn't have been shushing the crowd if Ray Allen was shooting a free throw. That's the reality of it, okay? He wouldn't give one damn about what Ray Allen felt emotionally or personally or how the exit happened. No, that's the crowd getting on him, not me. And you know what? Inside, I like it. Jason Tatum doesn't have those feelings towards Kyrie. So that's my Jason Tatum one eh, not so great moment from Sunday. Other than that, I loved what I saw Sunday. I guess this is as good as time as any to interject a couple of Kyrie Irving thoughts. Dribblemouth, who made his return back to Boston, scored 19 points, had six assists, and had a very awkward and strange press conference after the game, making the media wait about an hour to show up to the podium where he called the Celtics fans like scorned girlfriends asking for an explanation why he left, but still wanting a text back. Made note that he was grateful for his time in Boston, still had good connections with some of the players on the team, and never had any hard feelings towards the front office or anybody within the organization. He also noted that he respects the growth that he's seen from a lot of the guys on the team, and uh, they were just young pups when he was playing with him. JT was in his first year and Jalen Brown was in his second year. This guy is so far from reality, it's incredible. It is. There is no way in hell I would want this guy back. His personality doesn't mesh with just about anyone, okay? Name someone that it really truly has worked with and I'll give you reasons why and tell you why I don't think it did and I don't think that he's found a teammate that he truly works well with. He's just not a team guy. He's a me guy. And I wouldn't want that guy in Jason Tatum's ear, even if I could have him back for little to nothing. He's a poison. He's an extreme talent that does stuff on the court that nobody else can do. His handle, his shot, he is incredible. I take nothing away from his game. But he's the girlfriend that you're better off without rather than with. He's the outlier in the NBA. Teams are better off without his talent than they are with him. Because he hinders more than he helps. Truthfully, the guy's a dick. I wouldn't want him back. No Celtics fan should want him back. Putting aside the fact that he's not stable, he's never available. And this is where he's wrong. No one wants an explanation anymore, Kyrie. No one, okay? You handled yourself like an ass on and off the court while you were here. You've been strange, weird, confrontational uh, since leaving. It's always something with the guy. It's always something. There's always something on his mind. It's COVID. It's wars. It's social injustices. This guy considers himself a great philosopher like Plato. 
And those other things, they're going on. They affect everyone in different ways, but they affect everyone on some level. The difference is, is other people can still go out there and perform their profession and don't need to take time away or aren't clouded by what's going on around them or they don't do it or let it affect them as much as he does. Okay, it's always drama with this guy. He's more than a basketball player. He doesn't need the game. He's weird, strange, and fake. And if you want to point to the Celtics fans getting on him, good. They have plenty of reason, more reasons than just him deciding to leave after saying, you know what, I'm going to resign if you'll have me back. There was him stomping on the logo and then pointing out that Boston is racist. It's him with his strange practices of saging and purifying the air inside the garden when he returned last year. Uh, His comments about the earth being flat and asking Brad Stevens what government meant to him, calling LeBron after a game. Uh, versus the Orlando Magic and basically saying, I spoke to Daddy Braun and I understand the lessons that he was teaching me when I was young, basically alluding to the fact that the locker room didn't get it and he was by far doing all the right things and others were just following behind him. And his comments after the game showed me that the crowd bugged him. This guy is also sensitive. Glenn Davis, Glenn Baby Davis, who had his own shiny moment where ABC's cameras caught him stealing seats that weren't his or sitting in seats that weren't his, was also wearing a shirt that said, respect the logo. I really don't understand why Kyrie would be mad at Boston, okay? And if it's not going to work in Brooklyn, okay, with his buddy, it's not going to work anywhere. It's only his 16th game of the season because of the COVID protocols in the NBA and also COVID protocols more specifically in New York. And, you know, listen, the Nets are a 500 team right now. They're the 500 team. And here's where I get off a little bit on where the national media has been the past few days, okay? A lot of people are down on the Nets after Sunday. And, you know, I I get it to a certain extent. The Nets have lost 17 of 20 games here, okay? And they're not living up to expectations. Kyrie is a constant problem. He's a distraction for this team. But I'm not counting the Nets out, okay? I know what their record looks like. And I take the Celtics right now, okay? I would. Uh, You know, I think Sunday showed that the Celtics can play with anyone. They can play with that Brooklyn team. It's going to take a lot. Uh, But right now, the Celtics are playing together. They're hitting their stride. They're taking the coaching. And they're more likely to continue that buy-in than I think the Nets are to come around and have all the pieces fit together. Ben Simmons has been out since the trade still hasn't played. He's going to miss at least up to Thursday when the team, oh yeah, by the way, they play, ooh, yeah, Philadelphia. Ooh, surprise he's going to miss that one with the back injury. Uh, But I I look at the Nets and I say, there's still so much talent there. And they scored 120 points. With Kyrie having a a slow night by his standards, no Ben Simmons, uh, Kevin Durant just in a second game back since returning from the knee injury. And he looked pretty good. Uh, So listen, I I don't know if in in a seven-game series the Celtics can score with Brooklyn at that level, okay? And I I think a lot of Brooklyn is going to be Kevin Durant and and what he's able to do when Ben Simmons gets on the floor because there's no offensive sets right now. It's all isolation. It's all one-on-one. But when Kevin Durant is healthy, he's the best player in the world. And he just returned from a knee injury, and he looks fine, and he was efficient, and he wasn't driving yesterday, or Sunday, I should say. 
And Ben Simmons is going to be huge for this team. And does he fit in? And how engaged is he? Uh, Because he helps with the defense. And I don't know that Jason Tatum scores 54 points if Ben Simmons, the long, lengthy, versatile defender, is out there on the floor. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't fit. Maybe it doesn't work at all. I don't know. But I'm not counting the nets out. I'm not. I've just seen this show too many times. And maybe I'm giving too much credit to Kevin Durant to uplift a uh, a weird and, and strange Kyrie and uh, a, a disengaged Ben Simmons. It doesn't love the game, in my opinion. But I, I still not, I'm not counting that team out. I will say this, though. I, I take the Celtics right now, as I said before, and I, I want to throw the caveat in here that I don't take the Nets in any series uh, or, excuse me, a, any you know deep playoff run if Kyrie's not able to play in all games of the series. He can't just play in away games. So that would come with New York uh, lifting their indoor mask or mandate policy that they have right now that is keeping Kyrie out of games. But back to the Celtics, because of course this is Boston's big four, not Brooklyn's big four, which I guess still name-wise would still work, BB4. But anyways, the Celtics are 14-2 and in their last 16 uh, the best record in the NBA since January 29th. Prior to January 29th, the Celtics were a measly 25 and 25. And since the calendar flipped to 2022, we have the Celtics at 22 and 8. Now 39 wins on the season. Currently the fifth seed, uh, just two games back of the second seed, and I believe a half game now back of the Chicago Bulls, who lost last night to the Philadelphia 76ers. And it's a stark turn, okay? And it is. And it's, it's, it's been really head-turning, in my opinion. And at the very beginning of this run, or even a week or two into it, where the Celtics were running off nine wins prior to the All-Star break and then losing that one to Detroit, and people are kind of questioning, you know, are they rounding into form or were they fooling us for, you know, a span of games where it's longer than usual, but they go on these runs. I think now you're seeing that they're not just, you know, feasting off inferior competition. They've won 11 straight games over current playoff teams. And they have the best record in the East against teams that are over 500, 17 and 14. Believe it or not. I mean, just last week, they ran off wins versus Atlanta, Memphis, and Brooklyn. And those past two games, Memphis and the Nets, are really eye-rolling. You know, eye-opening, not rolling, excuse me. Because the Celtics are now not just steamrolling competition the way that we expected them to. They're doing it against good teams, okay? Initially, I expected just a, you know, a first-round playoff exit. You know, that, that's really all I had for this team. But now I think you have to include them in the Eastern Conference. They're not the favorite, but they have to be taken seriously. They've shown and proven to this point that if they play to their level uh, that they're capable of, uh, they can beat anyone, Okay. And I think that the way they've been playing, it's more likely that they're they're able to carry that over into the playoffs. And the East is open. I mean, there are a lot of variables in the East right now. There's no clear favorite. I think that there are probably four teams that I'd mix in with the Celtics, Philadelphia, Miami, the Bucks, and I'm still not counting out that Brooklyn Nets team. I told you that. Uh, and I think post the deadline here, you've seen more teams come into the mix. You know, with Philadelphia stepping up their game, James Harden meshing with Joel Embiid rather quickly, quicker than I think a lot of people expected, looking like that tandem there is going to be a force to reckon with. Uh, But the Celtics right now are leading uh, with their defense, and, and it's leading to offense. They're the first overall defense in the league. Their late game woes have largely been resolved. 
And if you look at the past, let's say, three weeks or so, they've played like the best team in the NBA. Now, I'm not saying they are, okay? I'm not saying that I would pick them to run away with the East or I'd take them in, in every single series. Um, but I think that they're a team that you have to take seriously now. They're playing the type of basketball that you could see coming out of the East. There are teams ahead of them, you know, Milwaukee, the Heat. Those are two teams that I look at as more of those old school battle-tested teams. Milwaukee won the championship last year. Giannis, maybe the best player in the entire world. And come playoff time, that guy gets it. That guy hits a switch. He flips it on. And and Chris Middleton, a great playoff run last year. Drew Holiday, obviously uh, brought in there to do the job that he's done successfully. Uh, and I think Miami has improved their roster. We'll see if Victor Oladipo can can add a little bit of a spark to that team. But I think those are two teams that I look at that would be really tough series. But I look at the ceilings for Brooklyn and Philadelphia, and that's where I really look at those teams and I say, the Celtics can beat those teams. It's not going to be a cakewalk, though. And I think that if you look at the matchups the Celtics could draw— it's going to be very interesting who they match up with in the first round. Right now, set to face Chicago, which they should beat Chicago. I've been saying this. They should. They should. Because they're proving right now that this is the team they should be. Okay, the injuries and the COVID early in the season, which led, led to you know major inconsistencies. Well, whatever it was, something's changed. I think it's the trade deadline and being told that they were going to be broken up. And I think that in combination with Jason Tatum just you know absolutely taking over, becoming the player that he is. But all in all, this team is locked in. They're staying focused, and they've matured. And they're finishing strong. Okay, they're finishing strong. So they have the Hornets on Wednesday. They have Detroit on Friday. The Mavs next Sunday. That should be a fun one against Luka. And then Golden State next Wednesday versus Seth Curry and that squad, which is slumping now, but always a tough matchup, always a tough out for the Celtics. So listen, Favorites in the East? No. Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer has them as uh, one of the, the teams that could come out of the East. He doesn't have them as the favorite. But I look at it and say they're playing up to competition and they're beating uh, inferior competition. Okay, and, and what really sticks out to me is 11 wins over current playoff teams. And that's the best in the East right now. And that was one of their problems earlier in the year. Or, or really over the span of the Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown era in Boston. Quickly, to name off the teams I feel like the Celtics should handle in a series, would be the Cavs, the Bulls, the Raptors, the Hornets, and the Hawks. I feel like those are series the Celtics, the way they're playing, and the talent on their roster, they should take care of. The experience should carry them, and the talent should carry them. The toughest series in order for the Celtics, if they were to have matchups in the playoffs, would be number one, in my opinion, the Bucks, number two, the Heat, number three, the 76ers, and fourth, the Brooklyn Nets. That order could change, but right now, that's the way I have it pegged in the East. And there you have it, episode 12 of Boston's Big Four in the books. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I'm sorry for missing last week on you, but we will be back every single Tuesday. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, Please subscribe and download the show, Apple, Spotify, and Google, basically wherever you find your podcast. You know the deal by now. Be sure to follow us on social media. We have an Instagram, a Facebook, and an email. Thank you for loaning me your ears and your attention. I know it's valuable. Until next week, Boston, be real, be strong, be Boston.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.